0: Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. So what is Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40? If you need to turn there, turn in your Bible. It's the first gospel. And this is what it is. Jesus was asked a question. And the question was this. What is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus said, here it is. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and all the prophets hang on this. The, The whole body of scripture comes out of these two commandments. This is how we are to live. As a Christ follower, that great command that jesus gave to love him because if you love him with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind you will automatically love people because god loves people you will love what he loves that great commandment should permeate our lives work home wherever we might be so this series is not just to give you a better way to live to improve your life to get a margin so that it's a self-improvement course we're doing here that's not it no doubt some of those things will happen But the greatest part that we create a margin in our lives so that we can give ample time out of our heart to God throughout our day, throughout our week, so we might love him as he wants us to, so we might be used for his kingdom. That's why we wanna talk about margins these weeks. Well, would you agree that America is the land of the rushed? Anybody agree with that? Would you, would you stop and think about it a moment that, that we live such hurried lives? I mean, have you ever thought about our vocabulary, how we sprinkle our vocabulary with time? I put down a list of them. Here they go. Uh, time crunch, out of time, no time, borrowed time, overtime, compressed time, time management, got a minute? E-D- EDA, EDD, uh, life in the fast lane, fast foods, rush hour, frequent flyers, Federal Express, Overnight Express, uh, phone service even called Sprint. We manage our finances on Quicken and our convenience stores, we call them on the run, quick stop. And guess what? We diet on slim fast. And what goes on, we even name our swimming trunks Speedo. And if you play the lotto, they even got a quick pick for you. Okay. And if you know anything about video work, you will do it on QuickTime, and if you ever do a a website, you'll probably do it on Flash. Our vocabulary tells us about our time issues. Well, last week we gave you a definition of margin. Look on the screen, here it is again. We'll use this every week just to remind you. Margin is the space between my current activity, hopefully, and my limits. So how does it play out? Every one of us have limits in every arena of our lives. For instance, your work life. Some of you are capable of working 40 hours a week and it doesn't affect you. Some of you 50, some of you 60, some of you 70. But somewhere along there is your limit. And when you hit that limit, you come home grouchy, tired, you lose focus of life and you just, life does not have quality to it. So wherever that limit is, that is your work life. Now, what you do when you create a margin, if you're a 60 hour person, before you hit the limit. Then you just go to your boss and say, boss, I need to only work 50 hours a week, and that's how it's gonna be because I need a margin between my limit and my activity. If in finances, remember how it works? You make so much money, period. That's all you, at your limit. And what you wanna do is live below that limit, not at the limit or not above the limit. You live a little below, so if here's your your income, that's all you the money you got, so what do you do? You back it down about 10%. Why? Because sometime in your life, there's going to be an occasion when there's going to be a bump, there's going to be something unexpected, and guess what happens? You've got to dip down to the margin now to take care of that, whether it's your job, when they need a little overtime, whether it's in your life, your body, whatever it is, we always need a margin. problem is, most of us live at the limit, and some of you are living way beyond your limit. As a result of that, there's no margin. Thus, the margin we need for God to love him with all of our heart and all of our time is absent. You take this idea of no limits, you add it to the progress of our days, and you put those combination of time together, you come to back to realize I, we live in unprecedented days, don't we, of progress. And that those unprecedented days of progress brings us a lot of conveniences, that none of our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors ever thought or dreamed would have. I mean, a homemaker today has a washing machine, a dryer, a dishwasher, a microwave, a vacuum cleaner. And at the end of the day with all of her other stuff, she's still exhausted. How did mom do that? You see, we have conveniences. We live 10 times better than the previous years, no doubt in our days have 10 times more than our ancestors did. But I ask you the question, are we 10 times more complete, fulfilled, and content? If we're so prosperous, and if this life that our American life has afforded us, if it's so good, why are our therapist's office so full? I wonder. Because we're living at limits and over our limits. Unprecedented times, well, the book I've told you, I'll put it in your notes. I'm recommend it to you to get. One of three books that's in the notes there today for you to read if you want to add to our topic and get it more. One of them is Margins by Richard Swinson. In his book on one page, he talks about the unprecedented times we live in. And as he wrote down, he said, this is a partial list, so listen to the list and you'll catch it real quick. Here's the unprecedented times, never before in time has been like this. Our speed of travel, our power of computer, our information, our lit- litigation, our technological adventures, our, c- our complexity, our shrinking world, our tightly c- uh, coupled with uh, our world system, national indebtedness, corporate indebtedness, population congestion, vulnerability to terrorism. Our unprecedented mobility, overpopulated prisons, AIDS, aging populace, changing role of women, disappearance of tradition, speed of of communication, number of scientists and researchers, media, media power is an unprecedented time and pervasiveness into our lives. Energy utilization, independence, speculation, widespread globalization, electronic money, international indebtedness, personal indebtedness, traffic congestion on land and in air. He says, destructive power of weaponry is unprecedented. Prevalence of divorce is unprecedented. Availability of illicit drugs, abortion, uh, 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 disappearance of the extended family, daycare for children and disappearance of community all unprecedented compared to previous times. This is how he concludes it. He says, each each item listed has played a significant role in making our era different from those of preceding eras. And when we factor in the integration of all of this and all the things that come with it, such as time and change and progress, he says, unprecedented is really a mild word for the times we live in. We take all the progress and we put it together and we live marginless lives. Marginless life is being 30 minutes late to your doctor's appointment, because you're 20 minutes late going into the ATM machine, because you were 10 minutes late picking up, getting the kids to school, because you ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station. That's marginless. A marginless life, is the life that uh, we see expressed and taken care of in other places, but not in our own lives. For instance, if someone's homeless, we get them a shelter. If they're poor, we help them with food stamps. If they're having a hard time breathing, we connect them to oxygen. If they're marginless, we add one more thing to their do list. You see, marginless is a disease of the 21st century. And margin is the cure. Marginless is our culture. And margin is counterculture. Can I give you a day in the average middle American life, middle class? Oh, some of the details would change, but kind of you'll feel this. This is kind of the average day during the spring. Here's how it starts the family rises at six, everyone kind of fends for their own breakfast. Dad leaves the house at 6.45 because he wants to beat the seven o'clock traffic flow because he has a 45-minute commute to work. And mom leaves at 7.15 with the two sons who are in elementary school so she can get them to school by 7.30. She drops them off. She now has 20 minutes to her workplace. She gets there a little early. And at 3.30 p.m., the two boys are now out of school, but they go on to the aftercare uh, school program. Now, mom skips lunch, Why? So so she could leave work a little early before five so she can pick up the kids, the two sons and have them home at 5.30. Because 15 minutes later, they gotta leave to go to the ball practice for the first son, number one, to be at the practice field. She throws both kids into the car to go. And as she goes, she knows that the the second son has to be at his game at eight o'clock that night. So she calls her husband on the cell phone, reminding him to be at the ball field, to pick him up at the practice field, to get him to the game field by 7.30. Dad leaves the office at six. He hits traffic, unexpected, And so consequently, instead of a 45-minute commute, he has an hour and 15-minute commute. He does make it to the ball field at 7.15. He waves at his wife. He waves at his son out in center field doing practice. He picks up the other son, throws him in the SUV, a mere $750 a month payment. And off they go to the ball game and gets him there just in time at 7.30. Meanwhile, mom leaves the practice field with son number one to head home. They stop at Taco Bell to get a, a healthy dinner. And they get home about 8.15. He goes immediately to the video games and, the, and she goes to check the email. Dad, meantime, at the, ball, at the baseball game, the game didn't start at 8. It started late. So consequently, it doesn't get over till 9.45. And Buddy's there in his casual dress Business dress, and he has a break to watch the game, to watch his son play. But of course, while he's watching his son play, he's doing text messages and email on his iPhone and about everything else he wants to do. While he kind of advances up at the game once in a while, and then finally, the game's over at 9:45, and they leave, and they get in the car. and Of course, they have to swing through McDonald's at the driving window to get a happy meal, and then they get home, and now it's 10:15. And son number two reminds his dad or reveals to his dad that he has a history exam in the morning that he forgot to study for. And so for the next 45 minutes, dad shoves facts into this short-term memory of this son. <laughs> and finally, at, you know, at 11 o'clock, throws him in bed. Mom and dad finally go to the bedroom, flop in their beds at 11.15, watch about a few minutes of television while they mumble some words that really don't have much of a conversation. But it deals with tomorrow's action list for both of them. They finally turn off the light, mom falls immediately to sleep. Dad lies there and starts to think of all the things he has to do tomorrow. And finally he gets up and takes his sleeping pills because he hasn't been able to go to sleep lately very well without his pills. And so he takes his pills and he starts to drift off. The last things he thinks about is what he heard years ago and that was this, get a degree, land a good job, earn some money, get the raises, buy a house, automatically life will be better. And then he realizes, I have to do this same thing tomorrow. But he reasons with himself three things. Number one, everybody does it this way. Number two, second thing he reasons is this, that he says, you know what? Here it is. This is the privileged life that we live because of hard work and the extra money. And number three, he says, things will eventually even out. This is just a season of our lives. And I would choose to argue with all three facts that he th- reasons in his mind. It doesn't have to be that way. And that is not the privileged life. It is a poor life. And number three, it's not gonna get better. Only way we'll get better is a change of value. Now, with our unprecedented accomplishments, with our rush of time, our lives start to uh, spin. Here it is, 1967, it's kind of humorous. A study was presented to the subcommittee on the Senate floor by a bunch of scientists saying this, that by 1985, we are advancing at such a rate in technology. that By 1985, America will only work 22 hour work weeks and have 27, hours, uh, 27 weeks a year to work. The biggest problem, 1985, they said, will be what do we do with all of our leisure time? Yep. How many been there? I wanna see it, anybody? <laughs> I missed that time, I guess, somewhere. I don't know if you caught 1985 and beyond, but somewhere, at last, because all of our technology and all the advancement, all it done, has done is complicated our lives more in all reality, isn't it? So what happens when we live this way? We press all of our margins out. Time controls us and time then gets less and we get to this point, what we call overload. Richard Swenson, I recommended one of his books, The Overload Syndrome. And in that, he lists all the overloads that we have. Think of them. You know these. In your life and my life, these overloads come like this. And that is this, that these overloads squeeze our time, and they squeeze our life. And this is how it goes. We have an activity overload. We have a change overload. We have a choice overload. Commitment overload. Debt overload. Decision overload. Expectation overload. Hurry overload. Information overload. Media overload. Noise overload. People overload. Possession overload. Technology overload. Traffic overload. Work overload, which all leads then to fatigue overload. What's an overload? It's when you carry more than you're able, but yet you do. You can carry 50 pounds, but somebody puts 55 on and somehow you make it. And in our lives, this time issue puts us into overload and that overload then puts us into what we find today called stress. Now you say, Dennis, I wanna argue with you. It's nothing different. I mean, society's always been the same. And I, I want to argue with about that, Dennis, and I say, no, it's not. Honestly, go back, study. We've always had stress, some, everybody. I mean, you know, 200 years ago, maybe the cow died, and that was stressful. You know the crop didn't, did, didn't, didn't come out that year, and that was stressful, maybe the baby was sick. And there were stresses all along through, man, history, but not at the rate they come today. There was some increments between them, and there was some space, and there were some seasons. And, and stress would come gradually, and they would adjust. But today, because of the overload, because of our, of our progress, and because of the speed that goes so quickly at exponential speed that, that we cannot handle it, and that causes stress. We have the inability to handle st- the, the time and the change that comes so quickly. I mean, think about it. You know, I don't have to explain it to you. We are reproducing change, I mean, almost weekly. Every year, things double. If we put it how we're changing today in ice cream formulas for you, you know how it would look? We'd have to put it in fast forward. Here's how it would look. It would look like this. If you were one year old and you ate one teaspoon of ice cream for that year, you know, through that year, and the next year, double it, two teaspoons. When you're three, you eat four, you know, And, and it goes on, you keep doubling it. Guess what? According to the mathematics here, I didn't prove it. I got it out of the book, but here it is. They would say at the age of 50, guess what? You would be eating 52 tons of ice cream. It blows your mind, doesn't it? That's an effect, but you know, what happens is this. We double that in months here in our changes of everything that's going on in our lives. So we have the inability to handle that many times. That brings us stress, impacts our kids, impacts our families, impacts our marriages. So what do we do? We come up with this. All of this comes to this. We squeeze life out of life. We're living. No life that God planned for us to have. So how can I help you today? I'm not going to give you time management techniques. I actually teach that, believe it or not, I taught it for years. Business okay. organizations, taught it to staff, <laughs> never have practiced it, but I've taught it. Okay. get paid good money to teach it when I go to business <laughs> and I walk out thinking, you big hypocrite. You haven't practiced that in so much. Here it is. Technique is not it, all right? It's not a matter of giving you a new time management program. Here's the bottom line, really simple. It's not complex. It is a value problem. It is a value problem in your life. And until you change your values, your margins aren't going to change. So where do we start? Number one, start with the end. Go to the end, and that's where you start to change your time problems. Remember last week, Psalms 39? Can I read part of it again? I put it in your devotion again. You just got, you've got to get this passage, not just read a couple times. Or no, you've got to get this down in your heart and really believe this psalm. And this is what he says in Psalm 39. David, he starts off and he just says, show me. Why? Because we forget. He says, show me, God. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. Show me my life's end, and he says, and the number of my days. David says, show me the end. So how am I going to change my time? Not looking at your day planner, whatever method it is, on your phone or whatever your day planner is. It's really not a day planner, is it? It's a 24-hour planner. And it's really not a day planner it's a chaos planner for most of you so don't look at it because it's going to scream back at you it's going to yell at you so what you've got to do is go to the end as david says show me the end what's the end when it's all over when the dust all settles and you'll have an account before god what's going to be in that accounting your marriage your kids Your great commission, challenge that God gave you about the gospel, the great command. Did you love God? Show me the end, David says. I start to change my life, not with my day planner, but by looking at the end. God, what do I really want at the end? I'm gonna have to figure that out, then I'm gonna work back and change whatever is necessary to fulfill that end. What do you want at the end? I would hope you would say, you know, at the very end, I want my kids to be godly. I want them to have a heart for God. I want at the very end, I can look back and say, I sat down for hours and loved my kids and talked to them about purity. I talked to them about money, that money wasn't for things. Money was to be used for the glory of God. I talked to them about portfolios that weren't to be leveraged just for myself, but to be leveraged if I ever have them for the kingdom of God. I looked at my kids, and I talked to them about character and honesty. We prayed together. We, we read the scriptures together. We walked together. I, at the end, I want to be able to say that. And parents, some of you are saying, it's going to change someday. No, it's not. It will not change unless something value inside changes. At the end, you have to decide what do you want to look at because you see, at the end, you can't go back and change it. You have to change it now and you have to take your time and create the margin that you need for those kids. And next week, the whole message is margin in our relationships. We're going to take you second to the Hebrew calendar next week, all right? look on your notes. I call it the Hebrew day planner. Okay. Up on the screen, I'm going to show you two diagrams very quickly. Next week we go in a lot of detail. I'm just trying to get you up. Here it is. When you go back to to the scriptures and you go back to Genesis, God lays out the plan there. Man's changed the plan. I know you say, Dennis, we can't change this too far. gone." You can maybe not dramatically, maybe not just like the Hebrews did, but you can start to go towards what we're going to talk about next week. You got to come back in here next week, all right? But here's how it was. In the beginning, God said there's night and day. That really hasn't changed whether you realize it or not, okay? We don't realize that because we live in a halogen society, don't we? You say, how do you know? You ever go to a ranger game? Next time you go to a ranger game, check this out. I've done it. You go in, get there early, 5.30, 6 o'clock for warm-up, Sun's still out. Guess what? If you walk in the stadium next time, watch. The lights are all on. They are on full blast at 6 o'clock. Did you notice that? At 7.30 when it's dark, you don't even realize it got dark. Because the lights have been on all the time. Because we live in a halogen society that turns the lights on, stays on 24-7. But that was the way God planned it. God said there'll be night and there'll be day. And as you study Genesis one and two, which we'll glance at next week and get this set up, you'll see that the Hebrews caught it and this is what their day looked like. The second one, it looks like this, that in the Hebrew day planner, you see at 6 p.m. our time, that was the beginning of their day. That's, you know, their day started at six o'clock. And from six to approximately 10, that time was set aside for relationships. We'll talk about how that played out next, next week when we get to it. Then from approximately 10 to six, you would rest. What a novel idea. Sleep. Okay. And then somewhere around six, according to the time of the year, of course, this would, could move a little each way. Sun starts to rise, you're up, and you have a productive day. And at six o'clock, it's all over, because it's dark again. You don't work at night. You come home for relationship. That's the Hebrew calendar. You say, there's no way possible that could happen. I I understand that, but there are some adjustments that can definitely come into your life as I help you next week figure out how that can work. You see, you learn it by limits, don't you? That there are limits. You know, everything in life has a limit. Bridges have limits, buildings have limits, governments have limits, banks have limits. Your body has limits. I will head towards that calendar and that day planner, though it will never be perfect in a modern society, but there's so much we can learn from that to start to, to create margins that there will be limits. There'll be limits to what your kids do. Remember last week? Some of you are driving your kids crazy. Look at them. Turn around, kids. Look at your parents. See how crazy you look. I mean, you know, you're weird. Why? Your parents made you that way. That's why. You know why? Because they drove you that way. Why? Because they thought there was no limits. You had to be in everything. You had to be at the dance, the, the art, the martial arts. You had to be at the league. You had to have straight A's and on it goes. Your parents are driving you crazy. Because parents think that's the way it is for little Johnny. No, there are limits. And face it, how many people parents. Like, I love sports. I really do. I mean, I played a lot of ball. I would have played for the Cowboys. <laughs> Honest. I didn't have any talent, any, any size, or any speed, but I would have. <laughs> okay? Here's the deal. And all these things, we think little Johnny or little Susie's is the next star. They're not. Unless little Johnny's dunking about 50 points in every game, he's not the next LeBron James, okay? There's a handful of those. I have a grandson, he's a senior this year. I'm flying out in a couple weeks to go see him play basketball. I do that every season since I've been here. I'll fly home Saturday morning, see him play Friday night. He's been starting varsity ball since he was a sophomore in a school bigger than any school in in Sherman, you know, a large school. Started quarterback his varsity year. Started point guard, still playing point guard. You know, having double-doubles every game, et cetera. I think he's the greatest player in the world, but guess what? He'll never make the NBA. I hate to tell him that, but he won't. I mean, that's very few. He'll probably play a little college ball, but that's it. And if your kid's not making some all-conference, something like that, don't kill him. Let him enjoy life. Limits, daytime. Here we go. Third thing. Follow the pattern of Jesus. You ready? The pattern of Jesus in his life and in his teaching. This week, I turned these passage to you to study, but I turned to glance through it right now, Matthew 6. Here's Jesus' pattern. Think of his life. Do you ever read in scripture where Jesus was running? No. I mean, he was never running. He was never in a hurry. I mean... You know, if he was living the lifestyle of us, he would have missed Zacchaeus in the tree. Because you'd never seen him as going by so fast. If he was living like most of us, he would never sat down at a well to talk to a woman whose life was in disaster. He never would have seen the woman almost ready to be stoned who was caught in adultery. He would have never sat down with children on his lap. And used them for stories and loved them. He would have never looked at blind people and looked at them and touched their eyes. If Jesus lived like most of us, he would have missed all of that. But he didn't. He could feel the touch on the hem of his robe in a crowd when a desperate woman touched him. It was even late for Lazarus when he got sick. <laughs> you know, Lazarus is stinking in the tomb. But he actually was on time. Wasn't he? Jesus never. I mean, can you imagine Jesus at the last supper having to step out to answer his cell phone? (laughs) Wasn't going to happen. Because Jesus never rushed. And yet, there was limits, wasn't there? He didn't heal everybody. There were still thousands of people who didn't get healed. There were still a lot of blind people, lame people. Not, you know, he knew there was a limit. At dark, we go to bed. We have relationships. We get up in the morning. A limit. In his teaching in Matthew 6, he said, what are you worrying about? Look at it. He says, why are you worrying about so many things? You worry about clothes on your body. Look at the ladies in the field. <laughs> don't I take care of them? You worry about food. Look at the sparrows. They don't go out and plant seed and they don't reap. You know, it's just there God takes care of them. He says, life is more than food and clothes and all these things we collect. He says, listen. You worry, and you're not, you're not going to add an hour to your day. I think Jesus is saying, especially in verse 32, it's the pagans that run around that way. It's the pagans that run around that way. You see, back in Ephesians 5, there in your notes, here it is. Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't live as the unwise. And the unwise in Scripture were those who lived by human standards apart from God. But he says, live as wise in verse 15. He says, you make the most of every opportunity. That's not milking it out to the minute, just that you take the quality of that moment and you're living in light of God's will. And then he goes on in f- verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, don't be dumb, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that is for us to leave very careful how we live. you will have to go counterculture. You might have to adjust your lifestyle. I would rather adjust the house I live in, the car that I drive, the places we go in order to produce a family and a life that has a margin for God, than end up at the end with a pile of rubbish that will not last. Seek God first, Matthew 6, 33. Seek God first with your time. That means I have to put him first in the day. That means I have got to put a margin in my life that my value is that God, before I get out of the house today, there's gonna be time with you. Change your clock, change your metabolism, change whatever you got. But you know, if you start your day without consulting him, you're gonna be unwise. And the day planner, And everybody else will press your time to do what they want you to rather than what God wants you to. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, remember? It's a challenge verse. Trust in the Lord. Actually, trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to what you think. Not lean to your own understandings. But all your ways acknowledge him. Put him first. And he will make your path straight. You have three choices about your life. I'll end this every time with this, this series. Number one, you can live your life by your plan. I'll be the boss, I'll do it my way. You can live it by the culture. Look around the neighborhood, see what the Joneses are doing. Look at the media, let it tell you what to do. Listen to your boss, let your boss dictate your life. You can live it by the culture. Or third, you can live it by God and do it God's way and trust him. No time management techniques, value technique. What's really going to be important at the end. Figure that out, then adjust your time and create time margins. And next week we'll talk about the relationship margin. Let's stand, let's bow our heads. I want every one of us to bow our heads. Today we will pray to close our service as we do every week. We usually pray in the middle sometimes, but we pray at the end. Prayer is so important to us. Some of your prayer would be your own heart, the line with God. But as we normally do, we want to pray for others. We pray for the churches around our area. It's so important. So today up on the screen, it's a moment when you pray. We'll be, we're praying for Trinity Methodist Church and we're praying for them and their pastor. That'll be on the screen when you pray. Our missionary of the week is the fact that we'll be praying for one that we partner with and that's uh, you know, work in Tula, Mexico, Nehemiah. And what they're doing, they're expanding to the suburbs. So in a moment, you might wanna pray for them. But more importantly, for this moment is your own life. What do you need to talk to God about? And so in a moment as we pray, you might wanna gather around with those about you and pray. You might wanna pray by yourself. Or you might choose that I need to come and pray with someone here. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you gather in prayer and start to pray and just ask God to move on our hearts. We have some folks up front on both sides. We have some elders, we have some pastors, their wives. If you'd like to pray with one of those, would would you just slip up? And they'll be glad to pray with you. If you need time, they'll take you to a prayer room. But let's pray together. Would you gather in groups to pray if you like? Pray by yourself. If you want someone to pray with you, would you just slip forward right now as we gather at this moment? Father, today I would pray for people who serve in this city besides us. We're not the only ones here. I do pray for Trinity United Methodists. I pray today that you would bless their work, projects, their goals, their passions they have to serve you in this community. I would pray also today, Father, for the work in Tula and with Nehemiah and all the places they're trying to reach. Thank you for our partnership with them. Encourage them today. Supply for them. And then I pray for all of us here that God that today in a rush of our lives that we would in this time of our lives do a value check help us to look at the end what's going to be there everything else will burn everything else will rust everything that we hold and possess will fade away but only last. May we live our lives in light of that. This morning as I close our service before our final song, on the connection card that you have in the back of your chair last week, some 15 of you marked on your card a commitment to Christ. We're excited about that. This week on your card, if you'd like to mark there, i want someone to pray. I'd like to talk with someone. Whatever it is, I place my faith in Christ. We'll communicate back to you this week. As we close the service on this last song, if you'd just like someone to pray with you, then some folks are up front. And they'd be glad to pray with you. I hope you will. Now, Father, we commit your word. It's eternal. It does the work, not I. May the truth of it today Thanks for listening. For more information, feel free to visit our website at shermanbible.com or call anytime during our office hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. at 903-893-7795.